welcome to Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFBA. Over the next hour, you'll be introduced to business and local leaders impacting our community. Text your comments or questions directly to the studio at 540-371-5756. Now, the host of Town Talk, Ted Schubel. Town Talk powered this morning by Stafford Tourism. For information on events and activities, visit TourStaffordVA.com. Scott Harrison this morning, the Executive Director of the University of Mary Washington Museums. I have not seen Scott Harris in a while. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. Pleasure to be back. It is good to have you here. Lots to uh, a lot, lots to, 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 uh, to talk about. The uh, One of the great uh, pictures of last week in the snow came from one of the uh, UMW museums, the James Monroe Museum had a great picture of snow that had accumulated on on uh, James Monroe's on the statue outside outside the uh, museum it looked like he had a hat it was great yeah or some suggested he looked like a conehead um it was kind of like that that yeah. was not intended but no yeah it just um uh we need to just put a notice out that we were closed for the inclement weather that yeah. day we didn't get anywhere near the amount of snow in that picture which was from that snowstorm of a couple of years ago, I think, actually, when we had a, a decent amount. Thought, um, and we had a similarly uh, great uh, image uh, showing that, unfortunately, Gary Melcher's home and studio was also closed. The little Puto statue that's out in the middle of the grounds, um, the little naked baby yeah. uh, statue, um, had a nice snow-covered mm-hmm. uh, uh, aspect to it, and we we used images like that to say, you know, sorry today, not open, but. Uh, in, in looking at pictures from uh, Gary Melcher's home and studio, it reminded me of one of the great uh, spring at Belmont is just wonderful when mm-hmm. when things start to uh, – because there, there, there are so many layers of spring at Belmont where you have the uh, – as the, as the grass and the flowers start to start to change – but in the wooded area and down by the river, it's just uh, it, as as spring starts to develop, you ought to go over there and just walk the grounds of, of, of Belmont and you really will feel like spring is coming. Yes, and, and that you can do any time. Um, we do have uh, uh, monthly woodland hikes. We have monthly garden strolls. There are other programs that, that highlight uh, the wonderful features of the um the grounds there 27 acres a couple of miles worth of walking trails in in the woods and in the formal gardens so um garymelchers.org <coughs> excuse me actually you can go to umw.edu slash arts slash museums and it'll to the landing page it will take you to gary melcher's website the james Monroe museum website the papers of james Monroe. okay so uh, i'll i'll throw that out there a couple of other times just to give people a a way of you know yeah. one portal to access all the museum's information i did not know that that i will i will make note of that umw.edu slash art slash museums will get you there because it always is a it always is a challenge to give uh to give uh, uh both of the places a a, a shot mm-hmm. the um before we get going, we're going to do something a little bit different than we usually do. Don't don't worry. You, okay. you, you're, Panic you're, looked on guest's face. No, yeah. you will you will not have any trouble with this because we usually kind of shoehorn this at at, at the very end. But I thought today we would start off because we we always will spend a lot of time on James Monroe Museum and uh, 
and uh, Gary Melcher's home and mm-hmm. studio at Belmont. But the papers of James Monroe yeah. have not gotten enough love from me over the oh, years. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, uh, thank you for recognizing that serious flaw in an otherwise stellar career. Well, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, it, it takes a, a big man to admit that. I, at, at the end of my career, someone would say he didn't spend nearly enough time on the papers of James Monroe. Yes, yes. Well, um, we, we, we've averted a catastrophe yeah. by your insight. Um the Papers of James Monroe is, at heart, a scholarly project. It is an attempt to uh, do a selective, not, not, it's not every single piece of paper James Monroe ever received or mm-hmm. sent out or anything, but it is a selective collection of uh, correspondence, of uh, both personal and official, of documents like treaties or legislation, commissions, um, the kinds of communications that anyone in public life has and particularly someone who had more jobs in public service than anyone who's ever been elected president of the United States. And the Papers of James Monroe Project began under um, Daniel, Dr. Daniel Preston, the founding editor, uh, back um, in, uh, uh, I want to say 1990, um, at uh, College of William and Mary, actually a little before that, at College of William and Mary. And then it moved to univers- what has now become the University of Mary Washington. Yeah. And um, the papers are, are relatively small by the standards of some similar projects. Papers of George Washington, papers of Thomas Jefferson, although there are you know, huge amounts of that. Papers of James Monroe is a leaner operation in that sense. It's not trying to capture everything, but it puts a great deal of scholarship, of, of editorial judgment and perspective on what is there. And it really helps illuminate uh, James Monroe's public career, the the uh, actions that occurred during his presidency, whether it's the Missouri Compromise, um, the Louisiana Purchase Treaty, which goes prior to his presidency. There's a lot of scholarship, a lot of material that had not been previously looked at mm-hmm. um, in the way that they're able to do with the papers. So uh, it is the projected 10 volumes, uh, again, relatively small by the standards of, of similar projects, and is uh, currently they're working on volume eight. It is funded principally by National Endowment for the Humanities uh, grants, but not exclusively. There are are private funds as well that come in. And it's something that we're proud that the James Monroe Museum has a, has a coordinating and uh, uh, supporting role in that accomplishing, uh, in accomplishing that, that project. The, uh, just to have something like that tied to the University of Mary Washington is it, you, in thinking about this, and I've, I've always wanted, and I've always said to you, we need we need to do a show. We need to we need to focus some time, even exclusively on on, on the papers or, or much more. But you, you you think of you think of that. You think of the historic preservation program that uh, the university is so renowned for, and it it all just fits very nicely. It does, and you know. There are lots of colleges. There are lots of universities out there. There are, there are many fine ones in Virginia. University of Mary Washington has managed over the years to sort of pinpoint laser focus focus on a few areas that have really developed into outstanding programs. You mentioned historic preservation. I'm proud to be uh, a historic preservation graduate of Mary Washington, along with history. Uh, in the first class, class of 1983, to be able to go four years in that program, our friend and my colleague Ann Darren from the mm-hmm. Washington Heritage Museum is a classmate yep. in that, um, and and that was a program that that uh, in the late seventies, um, the then president of Mary Washington, Prince B. Woodard, saw as an opportunity to give the program uh, uh, some attention at Mary Washington, one of the few 
undergraduate preservation degrees in the country at that time, the only one in Virginia. And it was one of those things that helped label Mary Washington as being sort of progressive, focused on developing a distinctive program. Um, Bill Crawley, uh, William B. Crawley, uh, Jr., professor of history at that time, uh, really helped birth and shepherd through the early years of the historic preservation program. And, and it remains one of the, the signature programs of the school. Many, many people who have gone on into different aspects of the field, museums, archaeology, architecture, urban planning, for that matter. Hmm. So then the papers of James Monroe, a similar uh, notion. Um, Bill, uh, Prince Woodard's successor as president at Mary Washington, Bill Anderson, who was there for a long time, um, he particularly courted and, and brought to uh, the school the papers as a complement to the James Monroe Museum, which has been part of the university since 1960s, yeah. back in its UVA days. So both of those are examples of, of, of how, you know, putting a particular focus on an area where the school could really shine. Museum Studies Minors, another example, is a program that's one of the most popular minors on campus. It's interdisciplinary, and it just gives an additional level of training for those people who have an interest in the museum field. Do, do people who are doing research on Monroe, would they, would they at times access the papers of James Monroe? Very much. That, that is really, this is the kind of project that is at its heart something for mostly the scholarly public or, or anyone who's doing research or writing or wants to know more in depth about uh, not only James Monroe and his career, but all the different people, all the different organizations he interacted with, the events right. that occurred. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a man who, who, who began his public service as a soldier in the Revolutionary War, being wounded at the Battle of Trenton, and ended it as uh, chairman of Virginia's uh, Constitutional Convention in 1830, 29, excuse me, 1829. He had to leave that for illness. But just right there is hmm. a span of time, our revolutionary early national period in terms of his active participation. Pr- participation it's early um, very early to yeah talk. i'll say that three times fast and 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 really on uh, with things like the missouri compromise that i mentioned really touching on issues that that were on the road towards civil war so he he covered a, a very interesting very dynamic period of our history and uh interacted with so many different people during that time um u.s and and foreign leaders that Someone who wants to know that period can find the papers of James Monroe a very valuable tool yeah. for that. One thing that just occurred to me as as we're talking here, Scott, is that uh, those of you in this area, and in, 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 especially that I, that I run into, that that have gone through the historic preservation program at, at Mary Washington, are always proud of it and talk about it. Yesterday I had from the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park, Maddie Hollis, mm-hmm. who's a ranger there, has done a lot of research, and she mentioned to me that uh, she wanted to be at this park because she graduated from Mary Washington and had such a had grown to have such a, a love of history through through Mary Washington and wanted to be here. And, and, I, and I hear that from, from, from a lot of people. So that, that speaks so well about the, the, the UMW program. It, it does. And there's been some wonderful professors over the years that have really, you know, as, as they have come and gone, you know, in the natural course of time, they have maintained the level of quality. They have, they've kept a tradition of giving students great practical, not, not just theoretical, not just well-grounded and best practices, education, but giving them practical opportunities to get yeah. their hands dirty, literally, um, to do things, uh, traveling exhibits uh, that, uh, as we did with the James Rome Museum, other program uh, possibilities, helping do educational programming. Um, and they emerge right out of 
undergraduate um, education with great sale, uh, uh, marketable professional skills. Uh, a lot of our students who go on to master's programs say that the first part of what they get at the master's level they'd mm-hmm. already done at Mary Washington. Huh. And I go to professional conferences or I interact with people all over the country, uh, and, and without fail, I can go to any professional museum or, or archaeology conference in this country, and I will find one or more Mary Washington graduates like coming through the door. Yeah. So it says something great about our program. Scott Harris here, the executive director of the University of Mary Washington Museums, umw.edu slash art slash museums to get all the uh, information. More coming up on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Welcome back to Town Talk on News Talk 1230. You can weigh in about today's topic on Facebook at WFVA 1230 and by text at 540-371-5756. Here's your host, Ted Schubel. Scott Harrison this morning from the University of Mary Washington. He's the executive director of the uh, University of Mary Washington Museums. I'm really excited about this website because always when you came in, Scott, it was always I was giving several different things and never knowing which to give. UMW.edu slash art slash museums. And that'll get you in in, uh, in a connection with the James Monroe Museum, the uh, Belmont, the uh, Gary Melcher's Home and Studio, and the papers of James Monroe. I had a situation the other day, and I felt like I I had I let you down in a way of oh. a friend of mine. Somebody I had known told me that they, uh, over the holidays or around the, sometime in December, had gone to the James Monroe Museum for the very first time, mm-hmm. and they raved about it, and they said, you ought to do something with them. And I said, well, I have, and I have, I have, I have raved about it, but the... the, the in the um, in the uh, museum landscape, and we have a great museum landscape around here, as you mentioned. It, it, a lot of museums do. A, everyone does their their own thing well. The James Monroe Museum does things it does things exceptionally well, just because there's a there's a there's a lot of great information there. There's a lot of history there, and uh, you over the years have taught me the importance of uh, Mr. James Monroe. Well, thank you. It is my mission in life, uh, one, one of several. Hardest working president in show business, uh, as I yeah, call him. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank, thank you for that, and we appreciate the, 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 the visitor. Um, uh, as, as is in most walks of life, even in, in tourism, even with the technology we have, social media, all the other methods of communication, word of mouth is still one of the main ways mm-hmm. people find their travel information, how they decide what they're going to do. And uh, that, of course, translates to things like Yelp and TripAdvisor and all that. But just conversation between friends and family members accounts for a lot of awareness of places that people end up going. So um, it's always good uh, that, that we leave people feeling not only that they had a great experience, but it's one they want to share. And that, that means a huge amount. Um, so we, we do strive to, to give the visitor a good orientation understanding of of the the life and the career of president monroe uh the circle around him and and then you know try to address questions and help them kind of go on that little journey of discovery there's a, and in, in over the years you have collected and there's there, there, there really when you when you talk about going to to museums and and seeing things in that little in that in that in that little building is it contains a, a, a lot of artifacts in a, in, a, in a lot of things tied to to James Monroe and it's it's just it's it's very informational and again I, I say it every time you, you come in it's the the might might one of my most a, a great artifact to have in town is that desk that James yes. Monroe used 
Absolutely. The, to the, write the Monroe Doctrine. The, right. Uh, I mean, by tradition, we have to always kind of qualify it. Uh, it's the only one that we know that he had. It is, is presumably likely the one that he composed not only the Monroe Doctrine on, but many other hmm. things. And, and when we say composed the Monroe Doctrine, he composed his annual message to Congress, uh, a written speech that was delivered and, and, and finally copied out by a clerk so it could be read because Monroe's handwriting was atrocious, and he admitted that. Um, but in lieu of what's now done, the State of the Union with a very pomp and circumstancy sort of entrance and Mr. Speaker and Sarah, Sarah. Yeah. Um, Washington tried that once and was very uh, uncomfortable with the whole idea because nobody dared ask him a question because he was Washington. Um, so <clears throat> it would not be until Woodrow Wilson, I think, that another president would actually go to Congress and talk to them. So Monroe delivered in 1823 his annual message. Yeah. Um, you know, here's how many lighthouses we're operating, and here's our relationship with the Indians on the frontier, and we collected this much in revenue, and oh, by the way, Europe, stay out of this hemisphere. And so that, that is how that got put across uh, to the world. And, and that desk, uh, other things we have in the collection contributed you know, to him being able to put that message out. Well, and he... You've always talked about how he, the the background that he came to the presidency with was 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 so phenomenal. He had he had done so many things and was associated with the with the founding fathers. When when he did become president, he he really had quite the resume. He did. You might always say, I'm going to get in trouble again for these phrases I come up with, like Forrest Gump of history. He's like the founding fathers' little brother. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he is he is of a of not quite a generation younger than someone like Washington. Well, he is about a generation, I guess, younger than Washington. Um, Madison, a little bit older. Jefferson, a little bit older. Monroe um, is is definitely on the youngish side of whom we would call founding fathers. He he did not have a role, you know, at the Declaration uh, in writing that or at the Continental Congress at that time. He would serve in the Congress. Uh, you know, later, uh, uh, including at the very end of the revolutionary era, he was in Congress. It was called the Congress of the Confederation as a very young man when George Washington laid down his commission as commander of the army. So that's how close from a guy who just a few years before had been, you know, a 19 year old, uh, officer, you know, charging in the snow at, at, uh, uh, Trenton and getting wounded. Uh, and then from there, just going on to study law with Jefferson to, enter into politics and government and as i say as a congressman the guy who had been his commander he's watching you know uh, return his commission and return to private life just a few years later that, that that's pretty close to what you call a meteoric rise i think i think so yeah yeah for someone who did not come from a really rich landed family with a long tradition of of governmental service i mean the monroes were respectable they were comfortable but they were no means wealthy and he was an orphan by the time he was at william and mary um uh, as a student, so um, definitely uh, uh, quite a rise early on, and he maintained that level of public service for the next fifty years. Last summer, I was going to go, and uh, I was I I am I am still unsuccessful, but I feel as though the uh, the tutoring you have done for me on, on James Monroe will will be complete when I go and visit go down to Hollywood Cemetery and visit uh, his grave in Richmond. Mm-hmm. I went last summer on a Friday night, and thinking that the museum would, or thinking that the cemetery would be open till right. seven, and it was open until six, and I got there at six fifteen. So I didn't. I have not made that 
pilgrimage yet. But again, just another cool thing that uh, that that Monroe is buried in Virginia. He is, in fact, um, uh, as I've written before, and our museums talked about, he he died at the home of his daughter on July fourth, eighteen thirty one, in New York City. Um, and that's and, for some reason where for the longest time I thought he was buried. Well, and he was. He he was buried there for nearly thirty years. Okay. And in eighteen fifty eight, at the centennial of his birth, um, Governor. Uh, uh, Henry, uh, Henry Wise uh, of Virginia uh, worked out a, a plan uh, to have Monroe's remains returned to Virginia, interred in Hollywood Cemetery, and there were various reasons for it, you know, state pride and commemorating his, his, the anniversary of his birth. Um, it was also Wise's way to try and do something that showed sectional reconciliation at a time when the Civil War, you know, slavery issues looming. Uh, and the promoters of Hollywood Cemetery thought a celebrity would be great to sell plots. Sure, yeah. And they were right. Um, <laughs> Wise was wrong on the other part. Um, and so he was brought there, that wonderful uh, uh, Gothic revival cast iron tomb that was restored a few years ago and is just glorious now, was put up. Um, his wife and one daughter, Mariah, uh, eventually joined him there, not till the beginning of the, the uh, 20th century where those graves moved into that same plot. And their other daughter, Eliza, is buried in Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, where she had died after, after her parents' death. Um, interestingly, there is a discussion going on, and Monroe descendants are a part of it, to hopefully uh, accomplish the exhumation of Eliza Monroe's remains from Père Lachaise and have them brought back to be interred with the rest of her immediate family I wondered at that. Hollywood Cemetery. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because it's been, you know, close to 200 years and, and uh, or well over 150 years that that hasn't happened yet. Um, there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, uh, and, and so the, the, the administrative red tape issues of it are, are daunting, I think, and part of it. The plot actually was purchased by Daniel Brent, whose antecedents were here in, in Stafford County. He was the charge of the affairs for the United States government in France when Eliza Monroe died. And he he literally bought a few plots for expatriate Americans who died and didn't have some way to be buried. And then he died not long after. And, and in the eyes of the French government, he or his descendants are the owners of that plot and the only ones who can do anything uh, official with it. So the Monroe family descendants have had to get involved to assert their right to do something with the remains of their ancestor. So it's very drawn out and tedious. And, you know, it's uh, dealing with another government and another sure mindset you know the french mindset so um we are helping that effort james Monroe museum james Monroe's highland his home in albemarle also helping we're not leading it or anything but if, if the family can accomplish that we're happy to help them yeah. reunite the the four members of the uh, james Monroe family yeah oh that would that, that would be <clears throat> terrific scott harris here the executive director of uh, university of mary washington museums umw.edu slash arts slash museums will get you in touch with uh, what's going on with the James Monroe Museum, the uh, Belmont Gary Melcher's Home and Studio, and the papers of uh, James Monroe. There are some events going on coming up that we'll uh, we'll talk about and a few other things this morning with Scott Harris. We'll uh, take a break and be back on News Talk 1230 WFVA coming up on 831. From the Fredericksburg.today online news studios, this is News Talk 1230 WFVA Fredericksburg, a centennial broadcasting station focused on Fredericksburg. 
This is Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Hear the show anytime by subscribing to the Town Talk podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And now, here's your host, Ted Schubel. Scott Harrison this morning, the executive director of uh, University of Mary Washington Museums. Town Talk, powered this morning by Stafford Tourism. For information on events and activities, visit tourstaffordva.com, tourstaffordva.com. The uh, James Monroe Museum, Gary Melcher's home and studio at Belmont, and the papers of James Monroe. That is what we are focusing in on, umw.edu slash art slash museums. will get you involved in uh, in, in, in all things three of those uh all, all three of them and you can uh, you can learn more about them especially as uh, both places i know you could there, there are a number of events going on at at, uh, at 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 both places and like i said said earlier scott the spring at belmont is just one of the great spots to be in this area just because you've got uh, leaves and flowers and all kinds of things and uh one of my great birds and bees and yes and, eagles and yeah i, I know it, it 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 happened last year but beeping eggs returns again yeah, this spring um, this spring um, that is one of a number of things that we do um that i mean any public use of the property is in fulfillment of what corinne melcher's gary melcher's widow wanted to see that it remain and be be a community resource um, and so the beeping egg hunt, which is, is specifically for children uh, with, with visual impairments, provides an opportunity to re- revive something that Corinne Melchers would do. She would have mm-hmm. Easter egg hunts for, for area children. And whether it's that, whether it's the Art After Hours concerts that we do in the summer uh, with sponsorship from Stafford County Tourism, which we appreciate, um, or, other, or, or just simply having Gary Melcher's art there and having ability to talk about uh, his art and art of his his uh, era um, are all ways in which we we honor that that commitment and that that intent in her bequest to the Commonwealth of Virginia of that collection and property that it be a public service uh, and um, the BP icon is one of the things that that's perennially popular uh, there are recurring programs we've talked about before uh, preschool palette for young folks mm-hmm. um, the uh, program that we uh, developed, uh, Michelle Crow-Dolby, our education and communications manager, developed for people with learning, uh, excuse me, with um, cognitive impairment, um, picturing new connections. And, you know, again, using that website, accessing that to then go to either the Gary Melcher's uh, homepage or to James Monroe, you will then further be uh, able to look at the mm-hmm. calendars of events for both places. Um, a couple things I would highlight. Um, mentioning uh, uh, preschool palette the next run of dates for that is in february and you can sign up for those programs february 21st to 24th prior to that um this coming sunday the 28th um we've had a little experiment going at uh gary melcher's this year where we are free on sundays in january normally a very slow time of year yeah we wanted to see and it's been tremendous uh, response. Interesting. Um, we've had many more people than we would normally see on a, on a Sunday in January. We've had significantly better store sales. So we really feel it's been great. We have one shot more. It come out on the 28th. But that's also the day of our next Woodland Hike, which is a free um, uh, uh, tour uh, over the walking trails we have led by a Virginia Master Naturalist volunteer. And so, um, again, you can get more details at the calendar of events page at um, Gary Melcher, and and that it's GaryMelchers.org is the address just to go straight to that website. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in James Brown Museum, we have a, a, a big slate of stuff happening um, a little bit later in the year. We, we have a program called Tea and Trifles that's already booked up, and, and it's, it's been a, a popular program about colonial um, uh, foodways that uses modern ingredients as alternatives, and we'll look at offering that again, but, but our one that we have coming up is already booked up, as, as the previous ones were, so it's been very popular. That, that's uh, a, good, a good reminder that on any of these things that we, we, we talk about, if, if you have an interest in them, sign up because a lot of these things do fill up. Yes, yes, and it's been very, very gratifying to see the interest in that. Um, we are at James Rome Museum, uh, along with a lot of other community historical and, and other groups, very much about the Marquis de Lafayette this year uh, and, and the commemoration, the bicentennial of his visit to the United States to receive all the, the, the love and thanks of the nation for his role in helping us win our independence. President James Monroe specifically invited his good friend, the Marquis de Lafayette, to visit and come tour the country. And he came to Fredericksburg. Yeah. Um, as, as a lot of people know, but maybe some don't. He, he, he came into town in the, uh, November of that year. He spoke at the town hall building, which is now the Fredericksburg Area Museum. Yeah. So there is a great exhibit that Dr. Gayla Sims is working on at the uh, museum. Well, not just Dr. Sims, but, but also Sarah Ernst, the curatorial staff there, are putting together a great exhibit uh, that commemorates Lafayette's visit, and, and we're happy that James Monroe artifacts are some of the things that are part of that. But we're also doing a program. We're one of a series of public lectures that the Lafayette commemoration is doing, and the James Monroe one on April 4th will be about the relationship of James Monroe and the Marquis de Lafayette. And Tim McGrath, who is the author of the most recent full biography of Monroe, uh, will be the speaker, and that's going to be at the um, Central Rappahannock uh, Library downtown. Most of these public lectures related to Lafayette this year will be at the library, although some will will be at some other locations. Okay. Um, we are doing an, a program in October related to this that's going to put Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, and James Madison on the stage together to talk about their relationships with Lafayette, and we're calling it Waiting for Lafayette. If you remember Waiting for Godot, yeah. those of you who know the play well, they're yeah. going to be Waiting Great for book. Lafayette. It's like, where is he? He should have been here by now. And in the context of that, they'll be talking about their their interactions with him. Um, just very quickly, again, James Monroe Museum, April 12th, Petite Patriots. That is our uh, James Monroe's program for little folks, which is uh, always a, a, a fun thing to do. We had a bookbinding program last year that proved very popular called Bound Together, it's a, or Bound in Rebellion, that's what it was called. And it was how... People in the uh, colonial world, well, revolutionary era and colonial era, yeah. in protest to the uh, stamps that were required on, on everything, including books, they were learning how to bind their own books. And it was an act of rebellion in doing it. So this is a very practical little hands-on thing. And then in May, and we'll have time to look at that later sometime, um, International Family Day, May 11th, the program that we've really evolved at the James Monroe Museum, do a lot of stuff. But again, um, umw.edu slash arts slash museums will, will be your portal to get to any of the individual museum pages or papers of James Monroe and see what's going on. I feel as though I'm getting to the the the, the Lafayette celebration late, even though it, has, it hasn't happened yet. Right. Dr. Sims was in at the end of the year and talking about it with great enthusiasm and, and actually to talked about some of the history that I knew nothing about. I knew I, you know, be, if up until she came in and explained some of this to me, all I could have told you is, I guess that's what Lafayette Boulevard is, is named after. 
that was my understanding, and I have a feeling by the end of the year I'm going to know a lot more. That that that, that, that was not a stretch to come up with that one, was it? No, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yes. And um, um, that literally, I mean, that was the main way into town in those days and was until well into the 20th century, and he came straight up that. And he had traveled through before when Washington and the Continental Army made their overland march from uh, New England area um, to surround uh, Yorktown. Um Lafayette is in one of the columns. They're coming right through here on effectively what's Route 3 today and uh, making their way through Stafford, Spotsylvania counties, and Fredericksburg on the way to Yorktown. So we, we, we were literally, the road to the revolution went right through this area. Yeah. More ways than one. Um, so, yeah, the Lafayette visit was a huge thing. He came back in 1824, was here till 1825. And talk about naming things. Uh, any, any Lafayette thing or Fayette County, Fayetteville, you know, things like that are yeah. all derivations of his name. He was he was voted a um, a, uh, a tract of land uh, from Congress and thanks for his revolutionary service. And what's interesting is by this point in his career, Lafayette is an avowed abolitionist. He has done practical things toward trying to end uh, enslavement of people. And it ran up against the, the, the custom and laws of Virginia when yeah. he spoke in the town hall. Uh, black people were were basically barred from being there, particularly if he was going to try and go all you know abolitionist on them. It, it, it didn't work out that way, but it was an interesting contrast to everything. All the good part was this very real factor that here's a man whose values are actually in conflict now with the nation he helped yeah. uh, create, at least that state uh, of Virginia. Interesting. And, and, and he was in the United States for what? Was it a couple of years? Or? Yeah, from 1824 to 1825. He and, and he, he'd come back another time, but this was like the grand tour. Yeah. And this was around you know the, the 50th anniversary, roughly, uh, of the events of the revolution. And, and it just, there was a lot of sentimental attachment. Um, you know, he brought his son, George Washington Lafayette, uh, with him. So... Um, it was it was a, a, a huge he he was a huge uh, celebrity at that. He's one of the last surviving generals because he was an American Army general. I mean, he was a French national, but yeah. he was given a Continental Army commission. And he was one of the last surviving generals uh, at that period because he was so much younger than all the other contemporaries. Um, kind of like with Monroe, you know, he's coming in at the latter part of that yeah. uh, era. Yeah. No, this is this is, I I know there 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 are a, a number of programs that that I am looking forward to just because this is like you say this is this was somebody coming coming over here spending some time and spent some time here that just adds to it it's, yeah. one, it's one thing to have been in the united states but to have actually spoke in to, to be in fredericksburg so david and lisa durham who have been so active in so many other ways in the community mm-hmm. uh, are, are the the real driving force behind having organized and helped get off the ground this lafayette commemoration they've helped coordinate with a lot of different groups all of our uh, you know, the museums, especially of that era, uh, whether it's Washington Heritage, George Washington Foundation, James Monroe Museum, Fredericksburg Area Museum, obviously being the building as well, um, but also other groups, the, Mas- the Masonic Lodge. Um, huh. and, and, you know, yeah. like James Monroe, uh, Lafayette was a Mason, uh, was, was accorded uh, privileges at, at the, the Fredericksburg Lodge by the brothers there. So, um, Lots of other groups uh, locally will be involved with this, and it'll be a year-long thing beginning in March with the, the exhibit and the start of those lectures, and it will culminate really in the public program in November. But um, just a, a nice shot for the community to, to highlight a part of its history, uh, and because we're a sister city you know, with a, with a city in France, it's just a nice overlay. Sure. And the American Lafayette 
uh, uh, organization has been a real partner in that too. As you talk here, it, it occurs to me that there really are a number of buildings here in in Fredericksburg itself where famous people spent some time and just kind of makes you think. You think you, I mean, town hall especially, but you 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 think of the bank where where Lincoln was, or you think of exactly. the you think of the, of uh, <clears throat> you know, just just various various places mm-hmm. where founding fathers in passing through here would have uh, would have stopped on the way through. Robert E. Lee uh, proposed to uh, Mary Custis um, at Chatham. Uh, I didn't and, know and, that. And then, uh, you know, many years later, he would be looking across the river from uh, the hill here at Fredericksburg at that home uh, being the headquarters of the Union Army, uh, where, where Burnside was trying to force the crossing of the river. So right there is an interesting collision uh, of eras and and situations there, but you're right. You've you've had so many. John Hennessy, our 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 friend and f- former colleague, um, uh, compiled a list one time. I don't have it on me of, of, of all the presidents who have visited Fredericksburg. Yeah, that was very another, interesting. Either yeah. before, or during, or after their presidency. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's been a, a true crossroads. And I've, I had this conversation the other day, just sort of going on this down this rabbit hole. Um, Fredericksburg was so closely identified with our colonial revolutionary early national heritage in so mm-hmm. many ways and whether it's washington or monroe jefferson writing the statute of religious freedom here right you know um so that was so well known so much a part of a shared heritage when union army soldiers are coming to virginia unfortunately to fight they come already armed with the knowledge of just how important this area was you know they would talk about entering the sacred soil of virginia and Fredericksburg or Williamsburg or Yorktown were names that were already hallowed and venerated by them, and they understood the significance of it and the, the horror and the tragedy that they were coming mm-hmm. to fight, uh, you know, just overlays that. But, but you know, it, it's just an interesting thing that so many of the, not only obviously the, the Confederate soldiers that were fighting for their homes were fighting here, but the, the, the Union soldiers coming to engage them also knew and respected uh, yeah. the, the importance of that history. It's, it's just one more of the, the, the heartbreaks of that era. Uh, well, you think of simple like the Rising Sun Tavern and the conversations that would have taken place there and the people who would have, may have either either were for the tavern part or spent the night at the Rising Sun Tavern. Right. In fact, Jefferson was in, I, now I may get in trouble, it wasn't the Rising Sun, but the uh, um, tavern that George Whedon ran, ran, I believe, was the one that... that um, Oh, okay. Jefferson was in mm-hmm. when he was writing the religious yeah. freedom statute. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, the social, the government, the personal interactions all sort of intermingle here. And there is the legend that when Lafayette was visiting Fredericksburg that he went over to see Mary Washington and mm. that she was making um, – uh, uh, oh, gosh, Ann Darren's going <laughs> to chastise me for this. She was making biscuits or crumpets or something. I, I, it's terrible. Let's say biscuits. Blueberry biscuits. Why not? Exactly. Have Anna on. She can explain it. It's, it's kind of a legend, but still. Uh, yeah, and so many of those, those stories. Stories based on fact. That, yeah. No, it's gr- gr- great stuff. I mean, we, we take so many things for granted. Uh, and uh, it's there's 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 great history right in, right in front of our eyes. Scott Harris, the executive director of uh, University of Mary Washington Museums, umw.edu slash art slash museums to find out more. We'll uh, wrap this up. We'll talk about uh, the great live series taking place at UMW and a couple of other things before we get out of here. When we come back, 
on News Talk 1230 WFVA. This is Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Download the all-new News Talk 1230 WFVA app for Apple and Android. Text your comments or questions directly to the studio at 540-371-5756. And now, here's your host, Ted Schubel. Scott Harris here this morning, the Executive Director of the University of Mary Washington Museums, the James Monroe Museum, Belmont, Gary Melcher's home and studio in Stafford, and also the Papers of uh, of James Monroe before we as a as a UMW person can't let you get away without uh, great lot the great live series is, is going on that is just the the fact that we've had over these years and continue to have great lives is just uh, it, for for this area for for UMW to be able to bring in the people that they bring in is just terrific it really is and um this is something that that uh, came about after i had graduated didn't have the chance to enjoy it as a student but the the william b crawley jr great live series uh bearing the name of its founding director uh, historian emeritus of the university bill crawley history professor my advisor when i was a student how about um, that yeah so in its 21st year or as i like to say in its third decade now <laughs> um you can go to uh, uh umw.edu slash great lives is one word and get the 2024 schedule um and it's really a, a very strong one the first lecture january 16th was snowed out unfortunately but it's been rescheduled to february 1st and that is about wild bill donovan the colorful uh, Army officer and intelligence uh, agent uh, who founded the OSS during World War II, Office of Strategic Services, which was the forerunner of the CIA. But there have since been uh, lectures on Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea. Last night, um, Shakespeare, Elizabeth Winkler, offering a very interesting take on the the long debate of just who Shakespeare was and was Shakespeare even Shakespeare. Yeah. And her, her book was Shakespeare Was a Woman and Other Heresies. And it was both that investigation and the reaction to it. So anyway, Great Live Series has got some wonderful lectures all through uh, uh, the next couple of months till March 28th. And uh, on behalf of my friends there, I just want to recommend uh, checking them out. If you miss the lectures and still are interested, they do eventually get archived. Yeah, as well. yeah I've seen those. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to the very, the very last one, March 28th, Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. Who's yes. a, just a fascinating person yep. to uh, to to read about and to to, to see? But you know, you've got Billie Jean King, you've got Elizabeth Taylor, Picasso, Stan Lee. Stan Lee, yeah, I'm looking so, forward to yeah. that. Yeah, so there were there are there's Iron Man comic to that. <laughs> right, this is uh, a really a a, a great uh, series again that yeah. uh, that uh, the University of Mary Washington tomorrow night has. George the Sixth and Elizabeth, uh, the the King and Queen during World War II, the parents of Queen Elizabeth, grandparents of the current yeah. King Charles. Yeah. So anyway, check it out. Great, uh, great lives is, is, is going on for the next couple of months, and usually what Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesdays and Thursdays, seven thirty p.m. George Washington Hall Dodd Auditorium. And again, umw.edu art slash art slash museums. That will tell you all you need to know about uh, the, the the various museums at at, at UMW. And uh, check it out. I mean, I think you'll be surprised at at, at what you'll find at both Belmont. And uh, also at uh, the, uh, the James Monroe Museum. One other, one other quick stat. When I was, I for just fun, I googled Scott Harris, and one of the things that pops up is that uh, arrest warrants. Scott Harris <laughs> is on five C-SPAN videos. Which I'm sorry, in the realm of people who are on C-SPAN, I barely <laughs> move the needle. I know plenty of people who are on a heck of a lot more than I've ever been, but it's very gratifying to see that they do that. I so, looked at that, you. and I looked at them all, and I, I recognized some of these programs, and I just I thought that's worth mentioning that I have a guest this morning that is on five. 
five C-SPAN videos. Count them. Yes. One, Count two, them. three, four, five. five. <laughs> a lot of good stuff coming up. So uh, keep it well. And we'll, we'll as, especially as a lot of these programs get going, as the uh, as the weather warms up and you have more outside activities, we'll uh, we'll get together and, and, and talk about all these. UMW.edu slash art slash museums for the uh, museums of the University of Mary Washington. Scott, thanks for coming by. Thank you, sir. Scott Harris is the executive director of the University of Mary Washington Museums. Thank you for listening. See you in the morning. Thanks for listening to Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. The views expressed by the hosting guests on this program are their own and not necessarily those of this station, its management, or Centennial Broadcasting. Hear the show anytime by subscribing to the Town Talk podcast on your favorite podcast platform. The Glenn Beck Program is next on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Focused on Fredericksburg.